You're listening to the Modern Web Podcast. For more podcasts, videos, and events, find us online at modern-web.org or follow us on Twitter at modern.web. That's M-O-D-E-R-N-D-O-T-W-E-B. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Modern Web Podcast. I am your host, Rob O'Sell. I'm an architect at this.labs. Today, we're very excited to sit down and talk about open, open source with Daniel Rowe, Daniel is a framework lead at Nuxt, a Google GDE, a Microsoft MVP, and honestly, way more than I have time to introduce here in this introduction. Daniel, how are you doing today? Uh, hey, Rob, it's, uh, it's a pleasure to be here. And yeah, I'm 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 doing well, and uh, yeah, full of full of energy. Great. Well, listen, we're so excited to talk to you about uh, open source, your journey in it, and I think uh, you know what the state of it is and, and what maybe the future holds, and, and how to get more people involved. But to get everybody situated, can you kind of introduce us to your journey in open source? You know, did you start with Nuxt? How, you know, how long have you been doing open source? Can you kind of explain to us how you got into this? Sure. So uh, my, my journey, by the way, is, is, is totally random and probably not at all uh, sort of illustrative of anyone else, anyone else's. Um, I think my, I'm going to, I'm going to start it though, uh, like a long time ago. Um, because my first exposure to open source was really uh, as a kid uh, playing around with Linux. So, um, and discovering that there could be other operating systems other than Microsoft Windows. Uh, and, and that there was this whole community of people building, building things and then releasing them for free. And not just operating systems, but all the things that you would want. You know, there's uh, OpenOffice or LibreOffice or, you know, the, like, apps on your computer that people were building, you know, for the joy of it. And that was really my first introduction to open source as a, as a thing, not, not something that I contributed to in any way, but, but some, something I benefited from um, and, and loved. So playing around, installing, I, I think at some point I sent off four and got like 20 Linux distros on, on CDs and I had to sort of play around and install one by one and see how it worked and so on. Uh, but I didn't actually get involved. Uh, in open source to much, much later. I studied law, uh, so I did a sort of law degree under my belt. I, I then went uh, back to, to uh, university and studied uh, theology, and then uh, did, did uh, work, work for a church for a number of years. Um, and it wasn't actually until I was uh, leading, and then, and then, I, then I, I, I moved back into the design and tech world, uh, into a creative agency. Uh, and it wasn't actually until then that I started getting more involved in open source uh, because we were, uh, I think the agency was, was message focused. So it was, it was aiming to figure out what was unique about businesses that we worked with and how to communicate that well. But one of the things about communicating a unique message is that you often do that with more than just words, but also with branding and web design and, 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 you're building out tech assets that are part of that unified strategy. And so we were doing that. We were sort of building out websites and apps. And obviously we use open source technologies. So we were building, I think, WordPress websites, for example, but using something called the Roots, Roots stack, which aimed to bring some of the goodness of Laravel, um, like dependency mm -hmm. management to the WordPress world. Um, where basically dependency management was sort of wild west, install whatever you like by clicking a button <laughs> yeah. in your dashboard. That is the source of quite a few, quite a few bugs. So what, what, if, what if you can control it uh, with Composer? Um, and 
you know, I think probably, I think like for me, it wasn't, wasn't even, I, I immediately wanted to support the projects that we were, we were doing, doing stuff with. Uh, so yeah, started supporting Roots, um, which uh, sort of financially, and then gradually started um, contributing back for other things. I think my first GitHub commit, uh, public GitHub commit anyway, has me contributing a, like a little little driver for Laravel Valid um, to integrate with with, with that. Um, and and it really, I think, and I, I feel open source for me is about giving. So basically, give, giving and receiving gifts, because I have I've get, received so much from the open source community, and any little contributions back are gifts back, um, and it feels like a it's a real privilege to be involved. It feels like a special thing that's outside of the normal um, like the normal commercial arrangement that so much of life is based on. It's much more relational. And and even even just sort of purely, I won't say selfless, but there's a sense in which it's a sort of it's a different thing. Like you're operating in a different sphere, and I really like that. That was a really long answer. Did I actually answer your? Question? I loved it. No, what I what I like about it is what a non-traditional journey yeah. uh, back to tech. You know, I know this is not immediately germane to what we're talking about, but as somebody who many of his friends are lawyers and who as somebody who was once told that he was probably going to be a preacher one day. How, how was this your journey and how did you end up back at tech? Like what, what was that thread? Was this just a, were you following what people said you would be? Were you, was this your own voice that you're just interested in a lot of things? Like how, how did you make those leaps? Those, those seem like very large leaps, but at some point I, I can see a connection kind of between them. Yeah. So they were, they were big, big leaps in a sense. I guess I finished school, uh, or, or in school, I, I loved so many different things that I really struggled to think, you know, what is the thing that I'm going to do? Uh, and I actually remember writing an essay like, to get into my university, which uh, is in England. And in England, you, uh, you tend to study one thing, only only just one thing, rather than uh, having, having a um, like a, a liberal arts type. Education. Yeah, yeah. In the U.S., you're taking a bunch of courses across the board. Yeah. So, uh, and I, but I remember writing an essay saying, like, here's why I want to study law. Uh, like, it's because this bit of me, like this analytical bit of me that loves mathematics and computer science, and this other bit of me that loves to write, uh, and this other bit of me that loves uh, playing the piano, and you know, like this is how they all fit together. And I mean, I, I would, by the way say if you ever get a chance to reread some of your writing when you were 17 or whatever <laughs> you should probably do it because it it's so humbling to go back and realize i was such an idiot like, no, as, a, as in i i think i think that, like what i was saying probably had merit but i don't know it was so pompous and and awful that uh yeah i just can't quite quite take myself seriously when i go back and read it but oh even but worse think, my my wife has love letters I sent her from when we were first dating, you know, very long time ago. And I go back and I was like, you weren't half as charming as you thought you were. <laughs> exactly. That is exactly the kind of discovery. That, uh, <laughs> oh, heavens. Um, but, you know, somehow other people are incredibly more charitable than, than maybe maybe they, they needed to be. Um, so, I mean, I think, yeah, choosing law, like it fit 
bits of me and I love I really enjoyed it and I particularly enjoyed arguing and sort of moot court competitions and finding the logical flow of something or sort of understanding how, how things fit together the challenge for me then though was that I thought that actually that essay could have been written a bit differently if I hadn't been trying to if I hadn't actually also at the same time been trying to figure out not just what I would be best at but also there was a sort of invisible assumption, which was that I had to find the thing that was also respectable and valued by other people enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, because I think I would be, I, w- I would have been a good lawyer. I, I can't really say that because I, I didn't become one, but I think I, 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 I did enjoy what I was doing. Mm-hmm. But actually, I thought if, if it wasn't just for that, if I was just looking at my gifts and skills, maybe actually working for a church would have been um, a better thing, better way. Um, so that was then the, the thing that took me back um, to reconsider what I would do. And then I spent, you know, a number of years getting a couple of degrees in theology and then and working for a church, which I also loved, honestly. Mm-hmm. And I think there would be some interesting parallels to thinking a little bit about, um, obviously, <laughs> totally different spheres and motivation is totally different. But there are some similarities there in terms of of an open source project being a Mm -hmm. community endeavor and people also volunteering and doing things because they believe in a a bigger picture, not just because it's, you know, it's it's fundamentally different from a company or a commercial endeavor, like in terms of why people do what they do and and also how how people are motivated and how how they work. So I think there's there's some interesting parallels there, but I, I, I love that. Um, and it, I'd only actually left uh, because of a, a personal situation. I wanted to, I'm, I'm not actually a British. I know my accent might sometimes lead you to believe that. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I am now, I have, I have a British passport now, but I'm American originally. And I wanted to bring my parents to the UK. Uh, so um, starting a, a creative agency was, was part of that. So we did that together. So I started a creative agency with my dad um, and, and and my wife as well. And uh, and so that then meant they could come over and we could build this company uh, together as a family family thing. Um, but actually, I really I really love that too. And for, for lots of reasons. I, I love the, the development of it, uh, the business development, getting out and talking to people and representing the company. I really like the, the work. I mean, we chose the, the concept. Uh, because it fits something that each of us had. So the the analysis, the focus on writing, which again I, I loved, um, and trying to find that we called it concision. The company was called concision because it was all about trying to find the the simplest, clearest way uh, to describe something, rather than lots of words. Like what's the one word? Uh, and our unofficial motto was it was just the right words. Um, so I mean nothing nothing tech really in the original concept at all. Um, the, the fact that we, we went in a tech direction that was probably because of the, the, back, the fact that I enjoyed it. And you know, I pulled up my old sort of tinkering with computers and started doing web design for clients and that kind of thing. I, so, you know, oh, go ahead. Uh, well, so I, I, guess, I guess to, like the question you were asking, I guess, was just sort of how did, how did things go? Like, and I think at every stage it felt quite natural for me, like which, what thing to do. 
it was it's all been things that I've loved and have found interesting. And I think what I'm doing at the moment, leading an open source project, it pulls in a lot of those, a lot of the things that I love um, in terms of of working with people, working um, like with a community of people to build something. Um, obviously, the analysis and the, the analytical side is quite satisfied with difficult problems and trying to work out solutions for them. But I think there's also the communication piece and trying to figure out what we're about. So big picture, zooming out from the code. What mm -hmm. are we trying to achieve? So there's that as well. But I don't know. Maybe I'm talking too much about myself. I, I, I do. I mean, I do like this, like a true theology scholar, you looked for the allegory and found the connection. But there is this fascinating idea of the structure of a, of a church being similar to that of open source, where people maybe look at the person behind the pulpit and say, that's the heart of the church. But what you find in any, any successful church, it's actually the community. It's actually the congregation. It's the group of people that support all the things that the, that the church does for outreach that are really what make it successful. You can have the yeah. most fiery, amazing, influential speaker, but at the end of the day, right, it's, if they're, 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 they're yelling in an empty hall, it's, it's, it's not really doing much. I, I kind of like that to, to keep in the back of our heads as we talk about open source moving forward. That's well, a fascinating of, model. Some kind of children's rhyme. I sort of dimly remember something like, something like that. Like you could, you do, you put your hands together. Yeah, this uh, is the church. This is the steeple. steeple Open it up, inside, and, and there are there's the people. The people. Um, and, and we went I to think, Sunday school. <laughs> <laughs> like uh, this is sort of I haven't thought about that in years, but but I mean, but that is, I mean, I like on a, on a sort of total tangent, but that is the thing that a, ch a church is actually. That's, that's an inaccurate thing because the church is not the building in no sense. Uh, for example, if you're thinking uh, about a sort of Bible-based um, uh, religion, like in no sense is the building ever called a church. It's it is it is totally the people that are, that are called that. And I think that is something that I think often, like that's not really what people mean by church now. But it is, and I don't think you can read read uh, uh, the New Testament for example, without thinking that um, that there's a very different conception of who is who is the church. So yeah, as you were saying, it is it's the people. And I, actually, I mean, I find myself saying this all the time about Nuxt, <clears throat> that, that basically we would not be anything like what we are in terms of the success that we have without actually the community. And one of the best initiatives which has nothing to do with me just to be clear was uh was uh, was making the project extendable so create this mm -hmm. we have this concept of modules where basically anybody can write something that hooks into the core of what nuxt does and changes it completely and that basically means that it opens up a project from being from being uh, just a, from being a core um to being tinkerable by anybody and i think I, even if it's just the core, you still have the possibility of contribution, right? You can have pull requests and 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 contribution in a single repository. But the idea of of an open source project, which is even more malleable than that, that is actually, you know, you can start tinkering around with what it does on your own without needing to make like and and you can maintain that integration separately. 
I think is is actually really freeing because it's safe. And um, when you make a PR to a repository, I think you can. It does. It's. You feel a bit nervous. I don't know. I feel a bit nervous. I open a PR to a new repository I've never contributed before, and I think, what's going to happen? Uh, is the maintainer just going to close it? Are they going to look at this and think, oh, this this novice, what is he thinking about? Um, or, or or say, you know, this is the wrong way to achieve it. Like, you know, there's a lot of potential for maybe not having a, you know, you and anyway, you're you're putting yourself out there to an extent mm -hmm. when you open a PR. It, it can, can feel like that. And so being able to tinker around with things without needing to do that, so just just playing around with them yourself, uh, I think is a is a really powerful thing. Um, so yeah, I would say that the next project is not just like a core team and um, a, a broader broader insiders team or whatever. It is it really has to be everybody. All right. Well, we're going to keep going with this conversation about open source. Uh, but first, a brief word from today's sponsor, This.Labs. This.Labs is a development consultancy that specializes in application development and upgrading legacy systems. They've been trusted by companies like PlayStation, Capital One, Herman Miller, PayPal, and T-Mobile. Facing challenges with legacy systems and need to modernize, This.Labs has experience in enterprise migrations and upgrades, providing a detailed roadmap for modernizing your software solutions. Their engineering leaders are industry veterans with a deep understanding of modern technologies and best practices. Learn more about how this.labs can help you achieve your tech goals at this.co. That's T-H-I-S-D-O-T dot C-O. And thank you to the team for letting me do this. Now we get back to the show. So Daniel, we were, we were now pivoting into kind of open source and open source maintenance now. And you know, you've been doing this for, for a while. And you know, I, I think we'll talk about this some more in the course of our conversation, but I think People have really been wondering aloud how open source is changing. You know, as you said, I mean, when you were young, the Linux distros, this spirit of open source will exist. It existed before NPM and JavaScript was and JavaScript, you know, library sharing, module sharing was a thing. It will exist after it if it was to end at some point. Um, but I'm, I think people are wondering how the open source ecosystem in especially the JavaScript world is changing like from your perspective and as you've experienced it and the teams you've been a part of like has it changed is it the same as it was you know many years ago is it different um or is it just perception that's different like how are things changing as far as who's signing up and how you're feeling as a maintainer i think without doubt it's it's changing i mean i don't think i can say i can i can obviously say that's from my own experience which is more limited uh, than others. So my first commit, uh, my first sort of open source commit that I referred to um, a little bit ago was was uh, was actually only in 2018. So it's just five years ago, which I guess is quite quite recent. Um, by the way, I actually built a project recently to sort of figure out what your first commit is on GitHub. So if you if you want to try it out, go to firstcommit.is. And you can put in your username or someone else's and, and see what your, your first commit was. But um, but I think there is this trend this, that things are moving a little bit. I think it seems to me that at some point in the past, there was this, uh, this explosion of contribution associated with NPM. Um, so, you know, people were building packages uh, in the JavaScript ecosystem, and suddenly there was this way to share them. 
And and so you know you see a lot of these these packages that still exist now. The sort of a single function. This function is a package. You know, what is it? Good old is, is even and is odd. Yeah, <laughs> we went to the same place. Yeah, we did. We did. But and, but it's not the only ones. There's like loads of them. You know, I don't know. Is string is array. I mean, I think there were there were lots of these. And 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 you think actually totally unnecessary. Like, can you imagine is string or or even is odd or is even? Like these are so simple. You can write them yourself in in seconds. But uh, but there's this idea of of uh, that's very Unix based, like little pieces that you build mm -hmm. up into a, a shared whole, and it felt like that was very much Unix philosophy, um, just like the the Linux um, distros that I was playing around with. You know, people were just you know, contributing, and you still see people uh, who maintain thousands of packages like Syndrosaurus or uh, mm -hmm. Titus, uh, you know, Worm, Worm. Um, and who, who maintains like, the entire unified and rehype and MDX ecosystem, which is insane. But um, but yes, these thousands of packages that people are maintaining and doing really for for the love of it. I think one thing that you see though now is the role of hype uh, and the role of uh, and the role of VCs in the ecosystem. And I think these are somewhat related. So it feels like some, and I think tech Twitter is another strand that that is in the same DNA, because yes. that I think there's a little bit of of the sort of. So I I, I love I, I've I have loved tech Twitter just to say, for me coming into open source and coming into the tech community from I wasn't in the tech community I had no background or knowledge, um, for me listening to podcasts was really important because I got a feel of. Mm -hmm. Oh, there are people out there, and they are friends with other people, and they share like they're they're sharing stories, and they are um, you know yes, there's the tech bit as well, and this is something that's exciting them. But like that was that was really attractive for me. I'm listening. I'm you know on the outside safely. You know, I'm, this isn't too this isn't as as challenging as going to a meetup, but it is it's enough to give me a flavor. But also tech Twitter and being able to sort of discover things. Oh, this person's sharing something really interesting. I'm going to follow them and find out more. Oh, and now this other person I know nothing about has done this really cool thing. And you're sort of constantly discovering. So I think that discovery and figuring out what's happening in the ecosystem and what people are doing is amazing and irreplaceable. And I, I, I'm, I've grieved a lot of the changes that I've seen in, in Twitter a little bit that have pivoted us a little bit more towards sort of engagement farming and, and stuff like that because there was a time when it feels like there was less of that and it was just more um, sort of pure joy. Uh, but I don't know, maybe I'm just being a grumpy old man. But the but but it does feel like there is there is a, a a move towards trying to find hype for new things. Because of course we want people to be excited by and interested by what we do. But I guess we we want to see star count go up. We want to see usage go up. And so there's this pressure to try and make things, to try and sell open source to people and try and make them want to get on board somehow mm. to, to hype it up. And then you do have influencers. I mean, how did that happen? We have influencers in open source who are, um, I don't mean that as in, in a negative sense, right. by the way. Of, co of course, in, in any um, scenario, it, of course, there are people who, who are influential. 
because we respect their opinions. But obviously, that then brings this other thing. You know, if you get someone to recommend it, then it might be successful. But someone also might build something amazing and never hit that wave, never end up getting more than the you know 14 likes, uh, 14 stars of their project to start with. And so there's this, this I don't know. So there's the hype side of things. There's also VC funding mm-hmm. projects that that either start off and become really popular and then get investment. Uh, and then try, and then basically they they now have the additional pressure of how do you develop as a project when you now have to make a return on that investment? You know, what does that do if before you were motivated by something because you loved it? How can you set up a company or an investment so that the incentive is still the same and the incentive is is aligned with what you wanted to do originally? I, I'm not sure every project has managed to get that right. Uh, but I think that is that is definitely a change in open source. But I mean, it's also a change for good because now we also see people who are able to be employed by companies um, yeah. who effectively sponsor their work on open source. I look at uh, companies like Netlify sponsoring uh, Ryan Caniato and his work on Solid. That's fantastic. I, I'm really thrilled that that makes it possible for him to, to work on Solid. Or Vassell doing the same for Rich Harris, for example, uh, and his work on Svelte. You know, this... It feels to me like that wouldn't be possible without without VC. So this, I don't again feel this is a, a total negative, uh, but it obviously does check or, or or indeed a negative at all. But it definitely does change what dynamics feels like. Yeah, yeah. And I think money actually is so dangerous for how it can affect a project. So because imagine you're you're sort of imagine you're a contributor, you find an open source project. Uh, but actually it's maintained by a company and they use it to, I don't know, make, make money. And it, it, how do you feel about contributing to it? Does it affect how you feel? I think it could, you know, it, mm-hmm. it, it might, it might make you think, you know, why should I be contributing? I, maybe I'll report a bug, but I expect them to do it because yeah. I'm paying for the product. Um, whereas if you are involved in a project where there, there isn't, there isn't that, or it is just this open source project, then it feels a little bit pure. Your involvement feels a little bit purer or easier to justify to yourself. You know, why are you doing it? I don't know. I, I had think an it... inter- yeah. I, I had an interesting conversation with a, um, a technical leader who was saying like, listen, I work in the mortgage servicing industry, but yet my customers hold me to the same standard as Amazon, as Facebook as Google. I'm not in that industry. They're not my mm-hmm. competitor. But yet this is what people have become accustomed to. And this could well be the case that, you know, in the early days when it's this everybody doing their own little projects and sending them out, there is that sort of communal feel. But nowadays people use Nuxt, they use Next, they use React, they use Angular, they use Apollo. These are giant projects with tons of professionalism thousands, if not millions of hours of engineering go into them. And yet we, uh, then we turn and we look at the 0.5 release of someone's connector that connects two libraries together. And in some sense, we both expect it to be at the same level of support and quality that we're getting from these other ones. Um, but maybe at the same token, it's intimidating, like you said, to, to go to these projects. So in a lot of times, we don't feel like we have any right 
to push an upstream change to React. So in some ways, we sort of take a lot of open source as a um, as-is license type of situation where like, yeah, I am a consumer of yours rather than uh, you know a community partner of yours. And I think you're right that it, the spirit of how we use the software is shifting, at least in our minds. I think it's not like companies were ever back in the day, like Kumbaya, push all these changes upstream. Um, yeah. But I think that even more so than ever, people you speak to maybe are less aware of even the idea of pushing back features mm -hmm. upstream. You know, they'd be quicker to fork it and make a change locally. That's a more natural instinct than to maintain a fork of something than it is to try to push a change upstream, which is sort of interesting. I don't know if that's a, a, a DevRel thing, if that's an education thing, if that's a cultural change we need to shift. Uh, but it certainly is the case that I think contributing back to open source as a first class value has sort of the, the conversation has lessened on that. I think people talk about it for how it's good for them professionally, how it can be good for their skills development, their portfolios, but the value of it as an innate thing to contribute to. I don't know if we're talking about it as much. And I, I think, and I don't know if that's a consequence of, I think, I mean, there's so much to say that, right? So I think that, um, on the one hand, there is the, there's the question of what stops people from contributing because without a doubt, there are people who are not contributing to open source and I, but I don't have, there's no blame in that. I like, I think that's very understandable that someone might, you know, not, they might wake up one day and, and not contribute to open source. That's, that's the default, right? So um, there's, there's no, no blame in that at all. But at the same time, I want to figure out how I can get rid of obstacles that are stopping people from contributing. Um, if, if they want to, if that's something they want to be involved in. And separately, I also really do think that it's important to preserve the, the this, this is what I, I think it's important to preserve the gift nature of open source because, so for example, I, um, people um, sponsor me on, on GitHub to do open source, which is uh, amazing. It's a, a really lovely thing. And I absolutely resist the idea of having any tiers on my GitHub sponsors, which are associated with me doing anything, because I want to be helping people because I want to help people, not because that they have sponsored me and now have a feeling that there's like this obligation, because I don't want that for myself. I don't want, I don't want the, the feeling of obligation. I can, I can. Like I can I can do consulting. Like there, there are other other forms of of being involved and helping people that are really mm -hmm. also um, fulfilling in a different kind of way. But I don't I don't actually want my open source work to feel like that to me. I want it to feel different, um, and I'm aware that's my sort of personal thing. But I also therefore want to make it as easy as possible for other people to do the same to have this gift giving, because there's some there's some etiquette with gifts. Like when you give a gift, you don't criticize the gift in this, like it's not a sort of, yeah. it's not a, I don't know if, if you, if you, what you are is grateful, you're grateful for the gift. Now in an open source project, it might not be the right thing. There might be all kinds of reasons for closing a PR, but one thing I think that we can absolutely be is grateful that someone made it and made it as a, like, because I think it is a gift. 
Um, and I think that is uh, that is something that I really want to be part of of our like the culture of a project that I'd be involved in. But sorry, I guess that's a bit of a an, an aside because, um, except that I think that maybe that does help answer the first question, which is how do how can people be involved in open source? Like what is stopping them? And I think the first thing I think that might stop people from being involved uh, in open source is how will it be received? Like what is that initial barrier between you know I want I I'm I'm I think the, the often the first step is I'm using a project I'm I'm using it I'm not but now I I've hit a snag I'm reading the docs and they're not clear about what I do next or I'm I'm actually using the project and it looks like there's a bug something isn't working I'm not sure it might be my my fault it might be the project I'm not sure which um, and so. Uh, or it's you know I'm building building this thing and actually I wish I could do this it would be so much better and it would feel better you know so like documentation or, or bug or um, or feature whatever it is like there's something that, that sort of arises out of what I'm um, doing in my work um, or in my hobby and then the thing that takes that over the line into a contribution is me being willing to put myself out there to an extent. And either file an issue or open a PR or something. And I think that for me, the big thing that makes that an okay thing to do is that, is knowing who's going to receive it at the other end and how they're going to feel about it. Because if I think someone is going to receive my contribution, and, with, and by that I mean like opening an issue, and think, oh, not another issue, you know then that is going to make me feel differently from thinking someone is going to appreciate it as a contribution to the project. Um, and I think the first thing is sort of how how to make that part of the, the, the culture of the community, um, like from the Discord server all the way up. Um, and I know that is a really difficult thing to do because how do you how do you shape a culture of a community to be one where it's okay to contribute and I, anyway i think that is that is the first thing but i've also been trying an, another thing i i've um i created a, a calendar um a meeting booking thing have you have you ever used cal.com no okay here's his unsolicited plug uh use cal.com it's amazing so it is it's totally free for individuals I think they, they, they it's an open source project as well, so you can contribute to it if you want. Um, and it is uh, it's yeah, it's like open source currently, um, but feature wise, it's much superior. Um, <laughs> so, so try it out; it is insanely good, and you will really not not uh, look back on on that. Uh, but I created a um, and I, I also use it for my. my consulting so you can hook it up with stripe and people can't book a consulting meeting until they pay at the same time like it's, it's got really amazing features but i created a uh, like a meeting link so anybody can book 10 minutes uh meeting with me at any time any time i've got got space um and as much as i possibly can i won't shut up about the fact that there is this this link um and anyone who wants to get involved in open source anyone who feels like they don't know where to start or um Maybe they're looking at other people who are involved and they think I'm not like them. I don't have the same background. Um, I'm, I don't see myself as whoever they are. Like if you're an outsider or 
or if you're not an outsider, whatever, there is there is a meeting link and you can can book it and I'd be really happy to talk about contributing, whether to Nuxt or something else. Um and, and like that's another thing I think I can do. It's not much, but you know, it's it's a little thing that might make it easier to sort of get involved and actually um step out there. But I don't know. What what's yeah, your experience? Do you do you do you contribute to open source? Right. I I don't actively and it's funny because i tell people all the time they should um but i you know when i think about why i don't i think there's sort of two things that that show up for me and i don't know how common they are but one of them is is i have a a reasonably young child he's six and so you know i used to joke that before i had a child i used to be able to do like two different things a night i could do one professional development thing and like one gaming thing or, you know, whatever. And now that I have a kid, I can do like one thing a night. <laughs> and so it became a lot harder. The competition mm. for my time went up quite a bit and I had less of it to give consistently. And so I think one of the things that I've struggled with, with like wanting to get involved with a project is the amount of time it takes me to get up to speed on that project and to understand how it works and what it needs and how to contribute. So to some extent, it's, it's like a, a little bit different than like, I'm not worth it or I'm not good enough to contribute, but more just like, oh, in order to contribute, I'm going to have to learn so much. And my interest doesn't carry me over that initial hump of, of learning, of, of just how to get into the project and what everything is, right? So maybe something that a podcast or a, a video or a, a stream that helped me and other people get onboarded in what everything is and sort of shorten that amount of time to, to get the, an understanding of the internals, maybe that would be useful. Yeah. And I think the second thing that gets me a lot is that there's so much I'm interested in. And so I watch people that join, you know, the Vue community deeply or the Angular community deeply or the Nux community deeply. And I'm like, I love so many things. <laughs> and so it's hard to pick one to become expert in enough to contribute. And I think it's hard for me, again, I don't know how common this is for other people to like contribute, to have this mentality of contributing to a bunch of things. I don't know, somehow my brain doesn't work that way. And so it's it's almost been because it's like a, that, that analysis paralysis. I have so many options that sometimes it's easier to pick nothing. And I find mm -hmm. myself sometimes realizing that like if I wanted to do some professional development or extra coding time, I sometimes sort of say, I wish I could just do more coding for work because I'm already up to speed on how that works. The work is bite-sized so I can get in and I can get back out. And I'm like, if there was a way to make open source feel like that, Maybe I would contribute more. And that's nobody's fault, as you said, but I just find like that's been my one of my biggest barriers is is just, you know, how can I how can I get over that initial hump of effort that's needed to be productive um and without losing interest and and then have that momentum. I feel like there's momentum on the other side of it, but it's like getting over that first hill of understanding enough to contribute meaningfully. That is actually for me an idea of something we might be able to do in Nuxt because that is that is really that's actually something I hadn't been thinking about. Um, from because of course yeah time that's, that's one of the biggest things, uh, and the idea of you know how do you get up to speed? I do I do I do stream, um, which is basically a lot of fun for me, um, but also hopefully answers a little bit of those like the questions about what does it look like to play around with Nuxt. But actually I had an idea. Um, you know, we talk, we have courses, like people create courses, um, you know, how do you do X or Y? But I thought, actually, 
what if we did a course on how to get started in Nuxt and we had actual uh, bugs and issues as the exercises and the thing the things that you learn to do so because if I just label if I, if I went through I know some people do this amazingly like um, Eddie Jow Jow Day have you pronounced his name I, I, don't, I have no idea but uh, Eddie from Eddie Hub uh, he he does an incredible job at giving information on good first issues so like explaining how mm -hmm. you can start and how you would tackle it and you would go and I I don't have the time to do that with all the issues that come in, because by the time I finish doing that, I would also be able to fix the issue. And I don't particularly want to keep the issue around just for the sake of things. Um, but actually creating some kind of course where people can become familiar with a code base in bite-sized chunks and actually have a chance to solve maybe an issue that's already been solved, but sort of time travel back to the point before that's happened. That feels to me like a really neat and fun idea so i'm totally going to give you i'm going to steal that from you okay um, please please i would love it. i mean i'd love to get more people involved and I, I think the other thing that comes up a lot it, it goes with time and i think this affects so many people is that like i'm not going to say that um open source is a young person's game but it certainly is the game of people that are privileged that this is their hobby coding is their hobby and they have a lot of uh, time and i think i think probably we all agree that businesses, so many major businesses are built on top of open source. And we just do not have this uh, culture of that shared investment that, listen, it's give a penny, take a penny. We're all just taking pennies. <laughs> and some poor people are donating pennies for that, 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 you know, that little jar. Uh, but too many people are taking them. And I think whatever we can do to create more partnerships between businesses and open source so that businesses are more willing to donate time to their people to push changes upstream and I, and I and like you said but without making it tiered support things because you don't want to give people privileges and things of that nature what does that look like you know because i think there's so many people that you know coding they love to code but coding is their work and it's what they do during work and they would love to contribute to open source if it could be integrated into their work lives now you can't do that you're not their boss but you know what is it is there ways that are possible? Are there libraries that are doing this well where it's like, hey, you know, we're not gonna do a formal sponsorship, but if your people push a certain something, something, you can do a, you know, we'll give you a shout out or, you know, marketing or, you know, a, a job listing, listing, you know, what is that? I don't know. But I just, I just know that the more that people can push open source work into their work schedule, I think participation would skyrocket because the people I've talked to would like to do this, they have all the limitations and, and fears and worries that we've already talked about. But one of the biggest is just, mm. I do my coding at work, <laughs> you know? And it's like, uh, we need to get more businesses to support people to take the time to push changes upstream. Because some businesses pay for people to maintain forks of libraries and they won't push it. They won't even try to push it, you know? It's not even, they've not even approached the authors to see if that would be something that the, the upstream, they, they would take upstream. They just sort of maintain a fork because in the culture and the way that companies think sometimes that's what you do, right? We, we, we pulled in a free resource and then now we're investing in it internally. And it's like, we have to change that paradigm somehow. Yeah, because I mean, I, I've always felt that, um, and from the other, other side of things, when I was involved uh, in open source, for, like, but also running a, 
an agency. I mean, I very much felt like getting involved, um, fixing bugs, was was a mutually beneficial thing. So that like it, this isn't purely selfless from the business's point of view. This is really beneficial because we are making the framework that we're using stronger um, mm-hmm. and 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 better. And the idea that it benefits other people is is great as well. Like that. If, but but from a business point of view, that's not the main sell. The main thing is that actually it means that you're more effective at what you're doing. So I think that is an easy yes, but maybe you're, maybe it needs to be communicated more clearly to, to managers and maybe needs to be communicated more clearly from them as well that uh, fixing bugs that people are encountering in their work is, is a good thing to do as part of work. I mean, it really does feel like that's that is a no-brainer but maybe i'm also not it, it should be right there. like like if the bug is on like if you have a library integration <clears throat> with your software if the bugs on one side in your code it's like that's a p0 fix it next sprint it's got to get done if the bug is just inside the library it's like file a bug report there's nothing we can do it's just going to be a blocker until the upstream library authors can fix it it's like if it was one one function call higher up in the stack, it's a P0 that our people can fix, but because it's that one layer lower, it's not even like it touches the internals. Maybe it's a, a very obvious thing. And and I'm I'm guilty of this. Sometimes, you know, you just don't know until somebody says, hey, we should push that upstream. And everyone just goes, oh yeah, it is open source, isn't it? Yeah, of course we could do that. Culturally, we have to do that and, and you know how do you do that you can't change everybody but i guess it starts with like you were doing earlier in this conversation which is by celebrating the companies and the cultures and the communities that are doing this very well uh, that are the people that are contributing not just money but are actually contributing the hours uh to this to this type of maintenance and um and and and, and adding that into the vernacular I, I think you know maybe arming people with the ability to talk to their managers and say listen the bug is inside the library but I was looking at the source code. I think it's fixable, <laughs> you know, or I was talking to one of the maintainers and they said this would be a really good first issue for somebody like we should just volunteer to do it, you know, and that 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 could be, uh, you know, maybe that that starts that th- difference, because like you said, once once somebody gets their first taste of open source, I've seen oftentimes they don't usually stop at one commit. <laughs> no, because it's also about a relationship and it's about widening your your network and your friendships and your or even your your work relationships beyond just your current at work and I, because you're now c- collaborating with people who are much broader uh, who are around the world dotted around contributing to the same project and who now regard you as a part of the, the team which can feel really nice and i know it opens doors as well for people in terms of professional development but also in terms of um of, of career of progression and things like that, which and it, it feels wrong to me that this is limited to people who have the ability to be involved in open source because they have the privilege of having that free time or because they have a privilege of, um, I don't know, speaking the language that most of the discussions mm-hmm. in the project are going on about yeah. or um, because they have other kinds of privilege too. So, I mean, here here we are, we're two people, I guess, with probably quite a lot of privilege. Um, and I, you know, my involvement in open source is probably largely driven by, made possible by the fact that I have had 
they're privileged to do it. Um, and I would really like to get to the point where that is not the case, where um, people, where we support people to be involved, whether or not they have that privilege in the background. And if anyone has any ideas, by the way, about ways in which we can make that better for Linux, please let me know. Um, but I think, or if you do, Rob. <laughs> I, yeah, of course. I, I think, yeah, I think anything that we can do that makes it less of a daunting step um, that you have to have this sort of ready stash of time or energy or um, pre-existing relationship already there before you can get involved with the better. Because I think we're massively limiting ourselves if, if we say contribution to open source is just for those who have the, the sort of um, the resources to do it already. Like we, we, need to, we need to be providing those resources if we can. Yeah, I, I, I mean, if there's if there is anybody still listening that that is that is struggling with feeling like you wouldn't be welcome, you know, not every project and team is this way, but almost all of the open source maintainers I've spoken to, we didn't talk about maintainer burnout that that's going on right now as people have to maintain these projects, not just you know when they were interesting to them, but now far into the future. Everybody I've spoken to just loves when people want to volunteer Th those fresh perspectives that fresh energy is so valuable so if there is any part of you that's holding off simply because you don't think that you're welcome or you're not good enough please reach out don't let that be the thing that blocks you um because you know I, like you were saying daniel you know you have time available that you make to help people who want to make this transition you know uh to, to be able to do that and i think uh you know these projects need fresh blood, they need people, they need that community to, to, to grow. Um, those bigger structural issues, yeah, we need to find a way to solve them because I think that's the key to unlocking the next set of people who just don't have that spare time. But um, but certainly, you know, we need it to be clear to everybody that open source can be an amazing opportunity uh, to meet people, to, to, to learn things that you wouldn't get a chance to learn at work. I mean, I know I'm guilty of that oftentimes, you know, sometimes I completely lose track of certain things if the project I'm working on at work doesn't use them. Uh, open source can be a great way to to train um, and, and, and keep current on things that maybe you're not using every day. So yeah, that's valuable. And yeah, we just need to find a way to to knock down some of these these barriers. Uh, and, and then hopefully, you know, we get another we get another renaissance, another golden age of open source uh, contribution, at least in the JavaScript ecosystem. Which is the which is I think one of the things that we have to keep in mind that um, it's it, that for example when I'm saying contact me anytime I'm really happy to get a just and I should, should say also like it doesn't have to be a face-to-face -face meeting a Discord message is just as good but like I'm not that's you know I'm really happy to do that but that's also not primarily a favor like um, I'm not I'm not being so generous in doing that. It's it's actually that the favor is all the other way around. Um, yeah. Someone who's being who's willing to get involved, yeah, even with no background or experience in a project, is actually the one who is offering so much more to the project. Um, like that perspective. Um, I mean, the perspective of somebody who's totally new to the project is also really rare because as soon as you become familiar, you lose it. So it's it's that is an essential. Um, perspective and I think I could go through quite a lot of other things that people who are from a who, who are approaching the project from a slightly different background of the current maintainer of the project have so much um, genuinely um, to offer there like we, we need it 
um, we need we need we need different um, different faces um, in any any project. I would say that for next as well. We need we need new people representing different backgrounds, and that is how we will keep on growing uh, and become better as a project. So, yeah, the the favor is is all the other way around. And I I don't know how you feel about this as we close out as a, as a last question, but. I always find too that some people feel like, oh, I, I didn't take a CS course. I'm not good at algorithms. Like the idea of thinking about how React works under the hood or Vue works under the hood is daunting to me. You know, I'm more of a product manager. I'm more of a project manager. I'm more of a DevRel or community person or more of a front end engineer and not a library author. I, I don't know how you feel about this, but I feel like open source, maybe not, not specifically, but certainly broadly, like, needs those people contributing too. I mean, we ask a lot of core maintainers to wear a lot of hats. And I don't know if like not being super deeply involved on the technical side needs to be a, a blocker from people just communicating with core teams and asking what needs to get done. Because he said, I mean, like even for people, you know, projects that are working with vendors and, and sponsors, just managing that, <laughs> the outreach to the sponsors and, and, and appreciation for that is work that needs to get done by someone in the community. Uh, and so I, I think, you know, even if you're like, well, I don't necessarily want to get in that nitty gritty, but I really love this team. Um, you know, oftentimes you can reach out and see what else is happening at the periphery, uh, you know, get involved in the discord, get involved in the docs, get answer questions on the GitHub or whatever. Uh, there are a lot of ways to get involved that don't necessarily have to be changing the core loop of the library. Yeah, 100%. I think that is true. And, you know, I mean, I've, I think a lot of those I would definitely underline, but actually that point about project management is, uh, or, 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 or product owner, like, I think there are things there that I haven't taken seriously enough that we, we really actually should figure out how we can best make that kind of, of um, knowledge and expertise um, something that people can contribute. Because, yeah, absolutely. If you think about it, an open source project, I mean, Nuxt has, we have more people on the team, but um, but an open source project is in a way a little bit like a business. It has marketing, you know, the public face of it, um, telling people about it. Uh, it needs to have stuff like documentation that are clearly written and explain and teach people. So we have an education. Um, it needs to have obviously engineering, it has to have a vision. So product ownership, it has to have a schedule and meet that. So project management. Like there's so much that has to be done. And actually it's really difficult to find any one person or even a few people who have all of those skills. Like we, you know, it's, 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 it's really tricky. I was talking mm -hmm. with a couple of, of maintainers just a couple of days ago and um, I was in, in uh, Japan for a conference. Um, and we were, we were basically <laughs> sort of all, all uh, commiserating with each other that it can be really tough when you have a, a maintainer who doesn't have some of these skills. And that they have an amazing library, but you know maybe they're 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 not a marketer, or they're not able to express it well. Um, you know we need we need all of them. We need contribution of of every kind. Well, wonderful. Well, that's going to bring us to the end of our conversation. But you know we've talked a little bit about people being able to reach out to you and 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 to your to your calendar and things like that. Can you let people know how they can find you and and reach out to you if they have more questions or they're interested in getting involved? Absolutely. So I have a website which is roe.dev um, and a blog there called Contributing to Next. And there should be a link you can click and book a meeting with me if you want. Or you can message me on Twitter. So Daniel Sebro, uh, my DMs are open. And on Discord too. 
I'm Daniel Rother. So uh, any any way you can get in contact with me, I would be really glad to receive something. And if I can help in any way, um, even if it's not just about contributing to Next, I'd be delighted to. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, if this conversation inspires you to go contribute to a library that you've been interested in recently, uh, I think still reach out to Daniel. I think he'd love to hear uh, that at least one person was uh, inspired by this conversation to get involved in open source. I know that always gives open source maintainers a huge burst of energy to, to know they've invited somebody else now to the congregation. But uh, <laughs> that's going to be it for us today. Everybody, thank you for listening to this Modern Web Podcast on open source. And thank you to our, our guest, Daniel. As always, the, we say the conversation does not stop here. You can find Daniel on Twitter, as he said, at Daniel C. Rowe. That's D-A-N-I-E-L-C-R-O-E. You can find me online at RoboCell. As for the podcast, you can find us online at moderndotweb.com or on Twitter at modern.web. And of course, as we close out, we'd like to thank today's sponsor, This.Labs. We'd like to remind you that you can approach your most pressing tech challenges with confidence, leveraging This.Labs tailored development strategies. Trusted by industry giants like Meta, Google, and T-Mobile, they specialize in bridge bridging business and technology gaps, modernizing legacy systems, and ensuring sustainable application architecture. Discover how this.labs can empower your organization at this.co. That's T-H-I-S-D-O-T dot C-O. Thanks, Daniel. See you all next time. Come on. Thank you. Come on, everybody. This podcast is sponsored by this.labs, a framework agnostic consultancy that specializes in JavaScript. You can find them at this.co slash labs. That's T-H-I-S-D-O-T dot C-O slash labs. For all of your friends and you. Shout it, yeah! Queries do. So come on, let's go. Cause we got a show for you.